0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends, and welcome to Washington
1: Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. It is my pleasure to be sitting in with you for Tony today here on Washington Watch. A reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com. I want to encourage you to join us at a special Standing for Life at FRC, FRC Actions Pray, Vote, Stand Summit that will be happening this September 14th through 16th at First Baptist Atlanta. We do do hope that you will join us there, that summit. It is going to be a tremendous event Uh, we have with us. Dr. Al Mohler, Ali, Beth Stuckey, Dr. Ben Carson, Oz Guinness, Mike Huckabee, Sam Sam Brownback, and so many others will be with us for the Pray Vote Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, September 14 through 16. And you can register at prayvotestand.com slash summit. Again, that's prayvotestand.org slash summit. We look forward to seeing you there today on the program. Has the coursework at West Point been hijacked by progressive causes? A study indicates that may be the case. We'll tell you what they found and what that means for our military. In addition, a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that the pro-life cause had a difficult defeat in Kansas, but the state of Indiana seems to have responded. They followed up with some good news. We'll tell you about the details out of the Hoosier state. Also, the FBI served a warrant on former President Donald Trump and searched his home last night. Is this proof that no one is above the law or proof of a politicized FBI? We'll talk about that story in detail later in the program, but we'll also talk about it here at the start in our headlines, because Washington in August is traditionally a slow news month as the annual congressional recess sends members back to their districts and away from Washington, D.C., But August 2022 so far has been anything but slow. We saw the reconciliation bill pass through the Senate on a party line vote last weekend, and it will head to the House where it's expected to pass again on party line votes this week. Yesterday, another major story broke with the FBI raid of former President Donald Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Now, this appears to be part of an ongoing investigation of whether the former president improperly stored documents at his home. Join me now to discuss all of it is Congressman Andy Biggs, who's a member of the House Judiciary Committee and the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman Biggs, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you.
1: It's good to see you today. Now, what was your reaction uh, to the news that the FBI had raided President Trump home to
2: get documents? Well, I, well, like a lot of people, I was enraged by it. I mean, it's absolutely uh, unprecedented in American history. Uh, additionally, there were so many other ways to try to get uh, those 15 boxes allegedly Uh, that contained memorabilia, news clips, etc. President Trump wasn't there. Those boxes were packed up by White House staffers uh, on their way out the door. So it's just, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, about the overreach, the politicization and the weaponization for political purposes of uh, the police state apparatus and all the other institutions in America today, just like in the bill that we're going to vote on. Friday that's going to deal with uh, increasing the number of IRS agents to 87,000.
1: You mentioned the unprecedented nature of this search. Now, of course, we in America believe that no one is above the law, and that includes current presidents and former presidents, and the rule of law it depends on that. Um, But in this case, when we do unprecedented things, uh, many think that the American public deserves an explanation by the FBI for the reason they have done something that hasn't been done before. Do you feel that explanation has been given yet? Is it forthcoming? Will the American people get the explanation that they need to see this as something other than a political move?
2: Well, I don't think you're going to ever be satisfied, or certainly uh, it's going to take a long, uh, a lot of talking by the FBI to... You'll satisfied. They haven't come out clean yet with why they did this. But I can tell you this, uh, a Democrat, uh, Mark Elias, who is the, the bulldog attorney for uh, Democrats all over the country, came out and said the reason that this is so great and it's a blockbuster for American politics is because uh, if they can nail President Trump with any of this, they believe they can keep him off the ballot. And that means that the whole thing is politicized. And that's where we're going. We're going into u- abuse of power for political purposes. And that is really not the American way that uh, at least previous to Joe Biden, it wasn't considered to be the American way.
1: Now, Representative Biggs, you mentioned there that there were a number of documents, you know, boxes that they they wanted to claim, things that the National Archive believes it belongs in the National Archive that should have been removed from the White House. Do we have reason to believe that there were um, less extreme efforts made, communications perhaps, made with the former president to say, hey, those things actually belong in the National Archives. Could you turn those over?
2: Well, we know that uh, the president, President Trump, turned over 15 boxes earlier this year. We don't know what additional processes uh, have gone into place. But the question is, were any of these these uh, documents or alleged documents uh, even a threat to national security. I mean, we watched. I was in the uh, in the chamber of the House when I watched Nancy Pelosi rip up uh, President Trump's uh, State of the Union address. That is a that is a uh, uh, an archived document. It should not have been torn ch- up. But you didn't see anything go with that. And that's part of this too, is this uh, ridiculous two tiered system where you know Hunter Biden or. Hillary Clinton, they they don't have any kind of uh, investigation seriously going on, but they'll go after President Trump over boxes of memorabilia.
1: And I think one of the things that makes the public skeptical about this is the ongoing January 6th commission hearings that have been happening in the, in the House of Representatives, which many people perceive as something of a political witch hunt. The timing of this um, seems uh, coincidental if it's not connected to a larger effort. Um, but we we do want to remain open to the facts, but connecting it to what's being debated in Washington, D.C. this week with the reconciliation bill. And part of that is billion for 87,000 new IRS agents, we are told, that would be hired by this. Uh, In light of this uh, suspicious, perhaps, activity by the uh, FBI, should the American public be concerned about what these 87,000 new IRS agents would be dispatched
2: to do? Yeah, I am very concerned. I mean, I remember when Lois Lerner used uh, IRS agents and audits to go after uh, 501c3s that were conservative in nature. So you're going to see something potentially like that. And don't ever forget uh, that we've seen a lot of weaponizations, whether it be alcohol, tobacco and firearm uh, and also this FBI thing here, uh, the spying on President Trump. But, you know, what, what really drives me crazy here is they are spending 80 billion dollars claiming they're going to net 120 billion dollars. So. You should be very nervous because they're going to go after you and me and conservatives, and I believe try to misuse this for political purposes, to try to increase revenue uh, just so they can say that they balanced the spending with revenue in this bill.
1: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of us look at that and say if they're going to spend $80 billion to get $120 billion, can you trust those numbers? And in so many cases, the, uh, the, the process is the punishment and what they're going to do with that $80 billion to extract the rest of that money from us. Uh, it feels painful, and it hasn't even happened yet. But Congressman Biggs, um, there's a lot of other things going on with this reconciliation bill. Of course, they're referring to it as the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell had some comments about that. Uh, I wanna play clip one and then give you a chance
3: to respond.
4: Survey after survey, poll after poll has proven that none of this nonsense is what American people want Democrats to focus on. The American people don't want hundreds of billions of dollars in Green New Deal waste. They want less inflation, not more. American families don't want tens of thousands more IRS agents. What they'd like are more border, border patrol and ice agents.
1: Representative Biggs, do you think uh, Senator McConnell has it right there about uh, the American public's priorities compared to what this bill actually does?
2: Yeah, he summed it up very nicely because uh, Americans want cheaper and, uh, gas prices. They want lower inflation so they can afford to eat and, and live their lives the way they, they choose to. And they also want the security of the, of the border. And, and what I'll tell you is that the, this bill has $500 million for the border, but it isn't for border patrol agents, not for ICE agents, not to stop illegal immigration. It's actually for uh, environmental justice programs.
1: Yeah. And to that point about the border, uh, the Biden administration has now announced that the Mexico the Mexico policy is officially dead, the remaining Mexico policy, excuse me. Uh, Senator James, James Lankford had some things to say about that. Let's play clip two.
5: It is nonsensical to say that we have a COVID health emergency everywhere, but on our southern border. If there's a public health emergency in this country, then Title 42 authority must remain in place.
1: Representative Biggs, uh, what's your reaction to eliminating the remain in Mexico policy?
2: Well, there's two policies at stake here. The remain in Mexico policy, which the the administration has attempted to eliminate since uh, January 20th of two, 20, uh, 2021. And uh, so they're finally putting the last spike in it. Um, and they've, they basically have been um, half-heartedly using it because they were under court order, and now they've eliminated it altogether. And the other one is Title 42, which uh, we've used to keep out uh, hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens due to uh, health issues. And and they're going to come in. So basically, uh, these are more incentives to come in. And uh, they're going to be caught. They're going to surrender, typically. And then they're going to be released into our country. And uh, to me, this is not an accident. It's not a coincidence. This is purposeful and intentional on the part of the Biden administration.
1: And Senator McConnell really made a point that I'd like to get you to specifically respond to is we have 87,000 new IRS agents. Is there any kind of corresponding increase to, the, to uh, border security personnel? They've been taxed. We know that that's a very difficult job. Um, is the White House also shoring up our, our resources and our, and our people on the border?
2: No, two points on that. Number one, they said they're going to close uh, some fencing down in the Morelos Dam area of Yuma. Well, that's just a few hundred feet. Um, and, and most people don't go through the Morelos Dam anyway in Yuma. They come around uh, the Cocopah Reservation. So that's not going to even slow down or even inconvenience the cartels who smuggle them in. And the second thing is they're putting all their money towards environmental programs instead of uh, for Border Patrol agents to have more equipment, better radios, uh, better vehicles, uh, more uh, space for detainees. Um, this administration is telling Border Patrol you need to move people out as quickly as possible and uh, and get them into the country as possible. So this catch and release program is is all on on the part of the Biden administration.
1: Representative Biggs, one more question in about 30 seconds on the whole politi- politicization of these uh, agencies. Is there a congressional role of oversight to make sure this doesn't happen?
2: Yes, it it is our total role, Um, and we should be holding oversight hearings, and I hope we do when uh, uh, Republicans get power again. We've had three hearings on the Washington Commodores, for Pete's sakes, but we can't have an oversight hearing on what the FBI is doing to American citizens. That needs to change ASAP when Republicans get control of the House. I know there's
1: a lot of people who agree with you, and we will be watching and cheering for you from around the country. Representative Biggs, thanks so much for your time today.
2: Thank you. Good to be with you
1: there's so much to talk about in this uh, in this discussion about what the FBI has done later in the program we're going to get into that in greater depth with Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation But coming up next has the West Point curriculum been hijacked by Marxists? One Washington watch- watchdog group says yes and we 'll talk to him when we come back stay with us <music>
8: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Judicial Watch, the government watchdog organization known for its adept use of the Freedom of Information Act, recently discovered that West Point Military Academy has been pushing critical race theory and other left-wing worldviews. Judicial Watch's FOIA lawsuits against the Department of Defense forced the release of more than 600 pages of PowerPoint slides, handouts, and other curricula on topics such as, quote, modern-day slavery in the USA, end quote. Is this the best use of our cadets' time? More importantly, how does this help the military in pursuing military readiness. I doubt the military training in China or Russia includes such courses. Is it giving us an advantage? Joining me now to discuss this is Bill Marshall, Senior Investigator for Judicial Watch. Bill, welcome to the show.
5: Thanks for having me on, Joseph.
1: First, tell us what prompted you to ask these questions and start looking for these documents.
5: Okay well you know actually I have a very personal connection to uh, to West Point my my son is a West Point graduate my wife and I spent a lot of time up there uh they are some of the best and brightest of America's youth um truly truly great Americans and we were getting information from um uh from graduates of West Point that they had concerns about what was being taught at the academy uh, and we were aware that this was going on at the Naval Academy as well and uh, and the Air Force Academy. And, in fact, we just filed suit uh, against the um, Naval Academy or against the Defense Department to get similar records out of, uh, out of the Naval Academy. Uh, so, so this is a – I've been working on the CRT issue, the critical race theory issue that's uh, afflicting many of our institutions – uh, all over the country i 've been getting records from k to twelve schools uh, school districts across the country and believe me it 's going on everywhere uh, both public and private schools are are inculcating their their students with this noxious really noxious material uh, it's as i say it 's all the service academies i 've been going after government agencies where this is being this 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 ideology is being uh, in, in inflicted on government employees. Um, I had a, we had a story recently um, based on records I got out of the D.C. public school system in which the staff members and the faculty were being um, divvied up into what they what they're calling affinity spaces. This is a new term that you should watch for. This is sort of the balkanization of of groups into black affinity spaces, white affinity spaces, Hispanic affinity spaces, LGBTQ. Uh, this is such a pernicious and uh truly as you as you mentioned in your in your opening uh to the segment um such a a divisive and uh, demoralizing uh ideology that that stems from marxism it it comes from a yeah. uh, marxist framework uh critical theory and you know it's critical race theory and there, there's various there are various veins of critical theory yeah. but uh, Yes.
1: Yeah. We, we used to call it segregation and it was bad, but now we call it affinity spaces and we're supposed to like it, but it's really the exact same thing. I want to talk about some of the details of what you found, but Congressman Chip Roy, in fact, has been talking about this issue recently as well. I want to g- let you listen to his description of this and then see if you think this is accurate. Let's play clip four.
5: Our uh, premier military academies, our academies are promoting CRT, PowerPoint slides from West Point surface that delved into whiteness and slated that in order to understand racial inequity and in slavery, it is first necessary to address whiteness. Uh, the slide also claims whiteness is a location of structural advantage of race privilege. Uh, cadets were asked their whiteness and encouraged to use CRT in their answers.
1: Is uh, Congressman Roy's description there uh, consistent with what you found?
5: Exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'm, I'm so glad that he's bringing attention to it at the federal level. Uh, you know, this is a uh, yeah, some of the some of the slides in particular that we found uh, in the from the PowerPoint presentations that were being used to instruct cadets were really deeply disturbing. And, you know, it, it, the military in general and the military military academies in in particular are among the most meritocratic organizations, institutions. In our society, and this ideology seems it, it seems specifically designed to undermine that unity of spirit and cohesion and cohesiveness that is so important to the, to the military's mission. And what they train, I can tell you from you know from firsthand experience in watching my son develop into such a, a great leader and, and and leader of men and an officer, that, that that is is truly a uh, a leveling. Uh, institution where it doesn 't matter what race you are what ethnicity what religion you know what your religious creed is you are you are all on a level playing field and this is this is designed to undermine that it is so it is so toxic is truly and you know one of the one of the phrases in one of these slides was uh, c r t grows out of the field of law and studies the way that racism is built into and reproduced through institutions that organize everyday life. Now, you know, what is more divisive than that sort of uh, principle being uh, drummed into, indoctrinated into the minds of our future military leaders?
1: And we're talking to Bill Marshall from Judicial Watch. And Bill, is what's the what's the benefit of this from those who are pushing it? How does this help our military from their perspective?
5: Uh I don't think it does at all. And in fact, I would argue that this is a part, one aspect of the controlled demolition of the of all of the pillars that make up the framework of our society, and intentionally so. This is being this is being orchestrated. Uh, by very powerful forces against every uh, institution in our country, the schools, the medical authorities, the FDA, CDC, I would argue, the government, all government agencies. We've been getting, I got records out of the National Credit Union Association where, where this, this ideology is being taught. I got them out of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Uh, I got them out of Montgomery County schools. Uh, I got. I've gotten them from the Puyallup uh, uh, County Schools in Washington. Uh, that, sto- that story will be coming out shortly. Um, I, you know, I've gotten them from the uh, from the Isle of Wight County Schools in Virginia. So, so this is this is a widespread, pervasive uh, attack. I would argue on our society for, by very malevolent people. I mean, unbelievably.
1: It is The evidence is is growing that this is truly everywhere, and we have to respond. Bill Marshall, we are out of time, but we thank you for bringing this to us today.
5: Thank you very much.
1: And one of the most pernicious things about critical race theory is what it describes is that the most important thing about you is the color of your skin, and we're going to in have affinity groups within our military academies one thing about the gospel and what it cuts through is it says the most important things about us are our sin and our need for jesus that's that's leveling it creates equality. when you say the most important thing about you is your skin color it means you're different than a lot of other people in the most important ways we'll talk more about a great pro-life story from indiana when we come back stay with us
7: are you a university student
3: They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch, friends. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can watch this and every episode of Washington Watch, whenever it's most convenient for you. In the aftermath of the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe versus Wade, we've seen the battle to protect life in the womb return to the states. Most recently, the Republican-led state legislature in Indiana passed the first statewide abortion ban since the monumental Supreme Court decision it was a decisive victory for the pro-life cause. Joining me now to discuss it. As well as provide some updates from other states around the country, is Connor Simmelsberger. He is FRC's Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity.
0: Connor, good to see you today. Great to be back on with you, Joseph.
1: Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about what happened in Kansas. Uh, it was discouraging for many people. Now we have a, a different development in Indiana. Tell us what happened there.
0: Yeah, you know, whenever Roe fell, you looked across the map, and a couple states stood out, and Indiana was one, that you saw, wow, that's a really pro-life state. They've elected Republican leaders for a long time, but yet they're set to allow abortions through 20 weeks of pregnancy, even after Roe. And so the the governor there, Governor Holcomb, said, I'm going to call a special Mm -hmm. session, bring the legislature together, and we have to pass stronger pro-life protections. The only concern there, though, was they were caught in the headlines of a national media story where there was that uh, sad story of the 10-year-old girl from Ohio who was raped and then taken to Indiana to get an abortion. And so many in the pro-life community thought, boy, you know, this national headline, this bill's going to be doomed, and it's really going to be watered down. And by golly, there were attempts to do that. The Senate had introduced a very weak version of a pro-life law. But thanks to lots of hard work and prayer and effort in the state of Indiana, they got over the finish line the first... Uh, law protecting life at conception in the state of Indiana since uh, Roe has fallen. So we have some good news to report for Mm -hmm. sure.
1: That's great. And Connor, tell us a bit about that, because we know that there are differences of opinion within the pro-life community about what is pro-life, what does that mean, what legislation is appropriate, and what legislation is overreaching, as some might describe. Uh, What was the evolution between what you described as the weak proposals early on and then what it ultimately became?
0: Yeah, the, the original version introduced by the Senate really wasn't going to do much of anything to close down the abortion clinics, to actually put in protections to ensure that abortionists weren't performing abortions um, earl- earlier you know, than 20 weeks. And so what happened is there were some good amendments offered. And one of the keys was over what exceptions to allow. Do we allow exceptions for rape, incest, fetal anomalies? And that was a key point of contention. Um, but a debate happened. And unfortunately, again, we would love to see that those exceptions weren't included. They did get included. How However, the bill was strengthened tremendously to ensure even abortions for those exceptions only would take place in a hospital and were limited to only the first trimester of pregnancy. So uh, not ideal. There's still a lot of work to be done. But, boy, Indiana went from a state that allowed 8,000 abortions last year. Their abortions were increasing. And this bill now is expected to stop over 95 percent of all abortions in the state.
1: That is, of course, great news. But, Connor, I'd like to help see if you can connect some dots for us, because you mentioned the defeat of the Kansas uh, constitutional amendment there that was a pro-life effort, and that was defeated by the voters. Now we see the Indiana legislature respond with uh, maybe imperfect but good pro-life legislation. Is there a theme here between these? Is this just randomness, states behaving in different ways? Is there anything that we can learn from these two events about the state of the country right now on this issue and perhaps what we should be doing moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, each state is really so unique, what their laws are, their culture, their makeup, what it takes to get a pro-life law over the finish line. They're all unique. But you're right, there are some trends bubbling up. Um, You know, when that Kansas amendment failed, Indiana legislature was currently debating their bill. And so, again, all pressure was mounting that they wouldn't get something over the finish line. But despite the media attention, they succeeded. They worked with their governor. They got a good law passed. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case in some other places. Nebraska, unfortunately, has announced that they won't be returning to strengthen their law that still allows abortion through 20 weeks, way late into the second trimester. But I think you're right. The connections here is that uh, pro life messages do win uh, whenever a true debate 's allowed to happen. That was the unfortunate thing about the Kansas ballot referendum is the left the pro abortion sides flooded the state with media attention. they zeroed in all their guns and firepower into that state to dissuade voters to lie about what the amendment would do, and that really dissuaded voters. But in the, conversely, what happened in Indiana was a true debate amongst elected officials representing their state debating on the House and Senate floor offering amendments, and what they did was get a true piece of legislation through. So that should turn to be a model that we can elect these pro-life legislators and even Supreme Court justices at the state level to uphold these life affirming laws.
1: Connor, what do we see in the months and years to come on the pro-life issue? Are, are more states expected to perhaps have even special, special sessions to address the issue or even in the regular session beginning of next year? What do we see coming?
0: Yeah, several states already are trying to even improve their laws again, West Virginia, South Carolina. So there are other states that say we need to act now. We can't wait till next January. Lives are literally on the line. Um, But, yes, heading into next year, it's going to be a big year for life in the state legislatures. Um, But a lot of that uh, rests on where these midterm elections go. You look at states like Wisconsin and Michigan. They have laws from 150 years ago that protect life at conception. But, unfortunately, because of pro-abortion governors, those laws are not being enforced. So how these midterms go are going to determine a lot on what states will be able to do to protect life. The momentum's building though like I said with these special sessions. Hopefully that'll pivot into next year's session where we will see a plethora of pro-life laws continue to grow across the states.
1: Connor, we know everybody's going to vote, but if they want to find out the status of the pro-life laws in their state, where can they
0: go to get that information? Yeah, log on to frc.org/prolifemap and you'll see Indiana's already updated to be one of the strongest states in the country
1: frc.org slash pro-life maps. Head there to make sure you understand what's going on in your state. Connor, thanks for the update. today.
0: Great to be on, Joseph. We will
1: continue tracking that story. But coming up next, we're going to have a bit more about the FBI raid of President Trump's house. Is this the rule of law, or are we seeing something more nefarious that voters need to be concerned about? We're gonna break that down with Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation when we come back here on Washington Watch.
3: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
8: With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAN to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text S-T-A-N-D to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
7: Are you a university student? Visit frc.org/internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. My pleasure to be with you. For now, the FBI raid of former President Donald Trump's residence has raised more questions than answers. As FRC president and Typical. Washington Watch host Tony Perkins tweeted last night after hearing the news, he said, who trusts the FBI to pursue justice? The agency has become so politicized that even if their actions were justified, half the nation still would not trust them, end quote. Now, we've seen federal agencies used for partisan aims before, but we're also aware that no one is above the law. While we all may have a political opinion, our real goal is to find the truth, what's the truth in this situation and how can we find it? Joining me now to have that conversation is Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow with the Heritage Foundation. He's also a former attorney at the Department of Justice and a former FEC commissioner as well. Hans, good to see you today.
4: Well, thanks for having me on.
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack here, but first, just give me your initial reaction. Uh, You've tracked the FBI for a long time. Uh, You kind of have an understanding of them as an agency. It goes back to J. Edgar Hoover, who we all know did not necessarily use all of his powers appropriately. So there is some history here. And what was your reaction when you you saw this search raid, however you want to frame that, of President Trump's home?
4: I was shocked. Absolutely shocked that this had happened. And the reason is that this is totally unprecedented. Um, There has never been a search warrant issued and a search done of a former president's home in the entire history of the United States, never. And we don't really know what this is about, and that's part of the problem here. The Justice Department has an obligation to immediately uh, make public the search warrant the application for the search warrant, the justice file, and all of the affidavits that were filed by FBI agents so that we, uh, the people and legislators, can yeah. judge whether, in fact, they were justified in this kind of a, a raid on a former president's home.
1: Hans, you say there that the FBI has an obligation. Do you mean that in a legal sense
4: or in a, a transparency sense? I think in a transparency sense. Uh, and one of the reasons for that, I think, is because, as you know, uh, we've had scandal after scandal after scandal uh, with this Justice Department and this FBI uh, going back to the uh, huge investigation they launched against uh, candidate Trump and continued with President Trump over the whole Russia-Trump collusion hoax And that damaged the reputation of of the FBI in a way I haven't seen before. And unfortunately, that kind of damage has continued with other what seemed like very partisan actions that both the FBI and the Justice Department have taken.
1: Well, Hans, we know that uh, President Trump is a uh, polarizing figure, and not everybody sees this as unprecedented. Here's what Nancy Pelosi had to say about the search. Uh, Let's play clip
2: five.
7: We believe in the rule of law, and that's what our country is about, and no person is above the law, not even the president of the United States, not even a former president of the United States.
4: Hans, anything to disagree with there? Well, she's right that no one's above the law, but but the point is, is the law being enforced in a partisan or an objective manner? And a good example of that here is the fact that um, no such FBI raid was authorized. No such FBI uh, raid was conducted when we discovered that uh Hillary Clinton, while Secretary of State, had installed a computer in her office uh, in her home in New York that contained thousands and thousands and thousands of government communications and emails, including classified materials. The FBI spoke with her. She, turned out, had had her lawyers destroy 33,000 emails that she said were personal. The Justice Department never, ever, ever actually got to look at them to see whether they were personal or not, and yet uh, she was never charged. Her house was never raided. I think
1: you put your your finger on one of uh, the—you make a great point there because it's the apparent inconsistency because— Most of the public doesn't believe that President Trump is the first person who may have skirted the law, assuming he did. Now we can. I want to get into this issue with the National Archives and what may have belonged to them, but there is this concern that even if that's true, it seems to be selective enforcement, and the FBI didn't go after after Hillary Clinton uh, and and grab what we know to be inappropriate uh, storing of information. I think that has basically been uh, acknowledged that that wasn't supposed to happen, but we didn't see uh, raids on behalf of the FBI for that information. But let's talk a bit about the the merits of this, because it seems to be the argument that we're hearing is, well, he had documents that he removed from the White House. Uh, I don't even know that there's allegations that it was done intentionally or not intentionally. In some senses, it doesn't matter. The argument is those documents belong in the National Archives. They shouldn't be in your your private home. We need to get those. Any sense that... uh, there were less obtrusive uh, steps taken to try to recover those. Just a conversation, perhaps a phone call, say, President Trump, we need those. And then he just said, no, you can't have them. They're mine. Do we have any idea if there were other conversations that uh, that preceded this that may have made this necessary?
4: Uh, no, there's no evidence that that was necessary. In fact, the Trump White House um, and I think the archives has admitted that Donald Trump returned 15 boxes of documents to them in January. If there were still documents there uh, that needed to be recovered, then why didn't Justice Department lawyers call and talk to the former president's lawyers, arrange uh, a visit so they could go in and examine the documents and see which ones needed to be returned, and arrange it that way? At the very least, even if they couldn't get that cooperation fine, issue a subpoena for the documents. But going uh, into the idea of a criminal search warrant rather than simply a subpoena, which they would have to comply with, makes it look like this was a, a political move uh, by Merrick Garland against an individual who may be a candidate running against his boss, which, by the way, is another reason why Merrick Garland should never have been the one to sign off on this. He should have handed this over to a special counsel to make the decision whether this was necessary.
1: Well, and as you describe it that way, um, I can't help but recall that was precisely the argument made in his first impeachment trial, uh, claiming that the president was using his authority to um, interfere, uh, to harm a potential future political candidate. And it right. looks like this, at least arguably, could be what is happening. And, and but, But Hans, as we gather information, what information would you like to see from the FBI that would help us understand what exactly happened here?
4: Well, like I said, it's important that the search warrant and application, all, all documents with that, uh, are turned uh, over to the public immediately. Also, any information on prior efforts made by justice to obtain these documents. But to, here's the other issue. You know, there are sources saying this has to do with the president having classified materials. Well, the problem with that is that um, uh, Kash Patel, uh, a a Trump political appointee who was in the White House, uh, worked for the uh, director of national intelligence, was on the National Security Council, said he was in the White House when the president declassified all of this documentation. If that is correct then uh, if that's the basis for the FBI applying for a search warrant, it was based, again, on false information the very same way the applications for warrants that the FBI applied for back during the Russia-Trump investigation when they applied for electronic eavesdropping warrants was also based on false information that they submitted to the FISA court.
1: Do you think, presumably, when they when they uh, executed this warrant, they had to give a copy of this to President Trump or somebody who was in the home. Presumably, President Trump has come into possession of one of these. Do you expect him to release the warrant?
4: Well, I would hope they would, but they may not have uh, all of the supporting documentation that the government submitted to uh, to the judge who approved this. So, Uh, Yeah, the Trump administration, the Trump uh, uh, office, I think, should release whatever they've got. But it's up to the Justice Department, the FBI, to also release it. Uh, Just keep in mind, all of this happened only a week after a hearing uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee. This was last week in which uh, Chuck Grassley uh, confronted Chris Wray, the head of the FBI, about information he had received from FBI whistleblowers complaining about partisan decisions made in investigations involving both uh, uh, Donald Trump and Hunter Biden in the Washington field office of the FBI and the double standard that they said existed there.
1: Is is anyone looking into those complaints?
4: Well, Chuck Grassley did his best, uh, as, along with other senators at that hearing, last week. Uh, but when they tried to get Chris Ray to stay for more questioning about it, he told them that, no, he had to leave. He had to get to the airport to catch a plane. They all assumed it was for important FBI business. But we've since learned it was so he could make a vacation in uh, New York with his family. So he obviously didn't want to answer questions about this
1: well and and perhaps for good reason, but is there a i mean there 's a lot of people who are concerned about this. What do you think the congressional response to this should be we 've seen what the what the House right now is doing with their January sixth commission meetings right. that have been going on for months now uh, what 's the correct what 's the way for Congress to handle this? So that the public, because I think what we all want is for the public to actually believe that they're the agencies, the institutions, we need an FBI that, that honestly does its job. It's, a, it's an important role that it has been tasked with. What can be done so that the public believes that the FBI is acting in the public interest and not necessarily in a political interest?
4: Well, Congress needs to hold intense oversight hearings in, when they, in which they investigate uh, not only this and, and other cases, but in fact, uh, bring in the whistleblowers at the FBI and get their testimony. Uh, I, I do not believe that Democrats like Nancy Pelosi or uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate have any interest in doing that. Uh, if Republicans win in uh, November and take over the House, they need to investigate this. The other thing that has to happen is people have to be held accountable inside the FBI and DOJ for the wrongdoing that they have engaged in. Remember, the inspector general of the Justice Department issued a very long report about all of the errors, mistakes, uh, omissions, and what seemed like intentional misconduct of FBI agents during the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. Uh, has Chris Ray disciplined? and terminated all of those individuals, we don't know the answer to that.
1: Hans, do you think this becomes a voting issue? Because it's always happening in a a political environment. Everything in Washington, D.C. is fundamentally political in some sense. We know that these midterms are happening, and we can speculate about why the FBI has initiated this search. At the time that they did, are they trying to make the midterms about Trump again? Uh, the public is going to react to it. I 'm one who thinks that perhaps uh, they're making uh, Trump look like a victim, and he 's a difficult man to make look like a victim. But they might be accomplishing yeah. that in this particular case. But do you think this becomes a voting issue for the public in the midterms
4: I think it potentially does if the Justice Department and the FBI could do not release information justifying what they did. Because uh, this will just be another scandal on top of what the public has already seen. Everything from the the Trump-Russia collusion investigation to a year ago, as you know, Merrick Garland classifying parents who were complaining about uh, propaganda being taught to their schools when they showed up at school board meetings, being classified as domestic terrorists. And when they see that kind of misuse of federal law enforcement agencies, it it scares people. And it should scare them, because that kind of politicalization of the FBI and the Justice Department is unacceptable. And frankly, it's as if you're turning us into a third-rate banana republic.
1: Hans, I want you to say a bit more about that point. If the public loses. its Loses faith in the FBI, the Department of right. Justice. What does that mean for us moving forward as a country, as a, as a, as a culture?
4: Well, it's another sign of the breakdown of uh, the rule of law in this country. And remember that that's what this country is based on. That's what has made it so different from so many other countries in the world, including the countries that my parents immigrated here from um, and Having a law enforcement agency that has been weaponized to go after uh, uh, political opponents of the regime and power in the White House and in Congress, um, that could have such profound uh, effects and profound implications for American society, culture, and government. And we already have a lot of problems. This is not one we need to add on top of that. Hans,
1: in about 30 seconds, is there any information that you could learn that would make you look at this situation and say, yeah, that was totally appropriate?
4: Uh, well, if they come up with a substantial, I would say almost overwhelming evidence of criminal violations of the law and a threat that evidence was going to be destroyed, well, then I might consider it. But so far, neither the FBI, the Justice Department, nor the January 6th Committee have produced anything like that.
1: Hans von Spakovsky, thank you for your time. We are going to continue to track this because this is in the middle of a summer that's supposed to be boring, a very interesting story that at a minimum gives us a lot to talk about. Hans, thanks for your time today.
4: Sure. Thanks for having me.
1: And friends, we thank you for your time today. And as always, as we try to think biblically about the world around us and the news around us, the most important thing here is to try to find what the truth is. And that requires us, in many cases, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And we got to make sure we have all the information before we reach really strong conclusions. We'll see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else.